0: Hello, I'm John Martin and I give you a very warm welcome. It's a pleasure to have your company here on Search for Truth. Our Bible teacher Brian continues with a second talk in this series called Show Me the Way. Today we'll look at the way of salvation. Very often people may wish to challenge a teacher by asking, Have you got your facts right? The purpose of Brian's talks is to help us through this series to make sure we have got our facts right in the sense of knowing the biblical principles of what Christians believe and why. That's why we have a free transcript booklet with all the Bible references, so you can check over what's been taught. And I'll remind you how to send for it at the end of this programme. But now, let's hear from the Bible with Brian about the way of salvation. Thanks, John. When
1: Jesus Christ said... I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He was claiming uniqueness as the only way to God. During his life on earth, he claimed to be equal with God, a claim the Jews were all too aware of as they went scratching for stones with which to stone him for blasphemy, as they saw it in John chapter 5. What's more, the Bible also advances the claim that Jesus' death was a sacrifice for our sins with forgiveness freely available to everyone who believes in him. These claims are testable based on whether Jesus actually did rise from the dead on the third day after his crucifixion. Skeptics, historians and lawyers have long been convinced of the fact of the resurrection of Christ by the real evidence for it, evidence which is both factual and circumstantial and both positive and negative, to quote the words of one legal expert who sifted the evidence. Jesus was born and named as the one who would save his people from their sins. That salvation, as explained in the Bible, is a salvation from sin's penalty, then from sin's power, and finally from sin's presence. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 talks about how we can be saved by God's grace through our personal faith in Christ. And that salvation is a gift from God, not being the result of our own works, but only as a result of God's work, once for all through Christ at the cross. It's speaking there about salvation from the judgment our sins deserve, which is the second death of the lake of fire, the essence of which is eternal separation from the God who loves us. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes about our need to work out our own salvation day by day. This clearly refers to something that requires our action in cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit within us. So this is not speaking about the same thing as we've just described previously, since that would make for a contradiction in the Bible. No, it's talking about a different aspect of our salvation, about being saved from the power of sin in our daily life as Christians. You see, our old self remains and we do still sin. Sinless perfection here as Christians isn't possible. Sin's power is greater than us, but we do have Jesus as an advocate who pleads for us in God's presence. That's why the Bible tells us that we don't need to fail, but if we do, we can know salvation from the power of sin by confessing our known sins to God. And then there's a third aspect of salvation which the Bible mentions, for example in Romans 13 and verse 11, and it's a future aspect of our salvation. I say this because it's described as being nearer to us now than when we first believed. This is talking about salvation from the very presence of sin, a salvation which will take place at Christ's return to take all Christian believers away from the sinful world then our bodies will be made new and sinless and we'll never be able to sin again. Praise God for that. By not taking care to distinguish between these three aspects of salvation, some have wrongly taught that the believer's salvation from the penalty of his or her sins isn't secure or is a mixture of faith and works. Not so. God's promise to whoever believes in Jesus is eternal life. It's God's free gift to the believer and in Romans chapter 11 verse 29 Paul teaches that God never asks for his gifts back since he never makes mistakes in the first place. In John chapter 10 Jesus himself emphasises that the believer, one of his sheep, will never perish. That security depends on the strength of his love, not ours. The matter of our eternal security is in his hands and the Father's hands and not in our hands. Nothing can slip between his fingers. He simply cannot lose his grip on us. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15 is also helpful in this connection because it tells us about the judgment seat of Christ where all believers in Christ will appear after we go to meet the Lord in the air at his return. The purpose will be so that our service down here can be assessed. We may fail to gain reward. We may fail to gain as much praise as we should. But we'll still be saved. Though so as through fire, the Bible says. In other words, the fire can burn up our works and we lose our potential reward, but not our gift of salvation itself. We really do need to distinguish between gift and reward. There are many biblical ways of viewing the eternal security of our salvation from sin's penalty, and they're all consistent. Our new birth is an irreversible process, as the imagery itself would indicate. And what's more, think of a baby and think of how it's born naturally. Who does the work? It's the mother, isn't it? The baby doesn't have to work to bring about its own birth, and neither do we in order to be born again when we are born as children of God, God himself does the work to bring us into his spiritual family. At salvation, when we repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus Christ as our own personal saviour, the Bible tells us we become members of Christ's church, which is called his body. The power of Hades cannot prevail against it. The Lord himself declared that in the Gospels, meaning it's powerless to dismember anyone so we're entirely safe. We could go on, for the Bible has a lot more to say, for example, about God's sovereignty, which really is the final guarantee that our salvation can never be lost. But some are confused when reading the Bible about falling away. To understand this properly in its context, we need to distinguish between our salvation and our service it's possible to fall away from a position of responsibility in service for God. That's what's being referred to, for example, in Hebrews 6 and verse 6. In the first century Jewish or Hebrew setting, it referred to those who were being drawn back into keeping the law of Moses. In that first century setting at least, there could be no recovery into Church of God fellowship for such high-profile defectors. As far as the New Testament teaching is concerned, our service is to do with being in a local church of God, and our salvation is all to do with being in the church, which is Christ's body. From the last mentioned church, we can never fall away. But, we say again, we can fall away from local church of God fellowship, something that's quite different. Finally, Matthew 12 and verse 31 with its mention of the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit has been a difficulty to some. This too must be kept carefully in its special historical context. These Jewish religious leaders were standing face to face with Christ. They'd witnessed his mighty miracles and good deeds and yet very deliberately they attributed the power of the Holy Spirit by which Christ performed his cures to the power of Satan himself. That was the defiant sin of the Christ-rejector. There's no comparable situation today which a believer could face. So there we have it. We are left with the certainty that the believer truly has eternal life, which cannot be lost. In the first Bible letter written by the Apostle John, we find three assurances of how we may know that salvation is ours. For John's repeated emphasis is that those who believe may know. He gives, as we've said, three ways by which believers can be sure that they're saved. And these are by believing, by obeying, and by loving. The first way then is about maintaining our deep conviction in the truth about Jesus, the Son of God. Again and again in chapter 5 alone, he stresses that it's those who believe in the Son of God who know that they have eternal life. Sadly, some believers, by losing faith lose the assurance of their salvation even though they cannot lose salvation itself. Then at the end of chapter 2 we come across an example of the second way of convincing ourselves that we're saved. It's when John says everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So we can live without doubts when we do right by keeping the Lord's commandments. Finally in 1st John chapter 4, we discover how strongly the matter of loving one another comes across. As a third assurance of our new birth, John says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So the certainty that the believer has eternal life is a certainty that's assured three times over. When we retain our convictions about the person of the Lord Jesus, when we do the right things by keeping his commandments, and also when we love each other. Just so there's no misunderstanding, John's theme is not salvation itself. For remember, salvation from sin's penalty is not by works. But John's theme is rather the assurance of salvation. Continuing to believe, keeping the Lord's commandments and loving each other are not things we do so as to be saved or even to remain saved from the judgment of our sins. But if we are saved by faith, and we do these things, then we'll know without doubt that we're saved, just as the Bible plainly teaches, and save forever at that.
0: Thanks, Brian. As I said at the beginning, we have a free transcript booklet available for this series. If you'd like one or more for group study, please contact us, ask for the title, Show Me The Way, and if you're using the post, this is the address. Search for Truth, P.O. Box 111, Lee, spelt L-E-I-G-H, and the postcode is WN71WJ, England. The email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And you can access other programmes and helpful material at www.searchfortruth.org.uk. So, thanks for the privilege of your company. I hope you can join us again next week when we'll be looking at the way of the Lord in baptism. Until then, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. Thanks for listening and may God richly bless you.